0: I am Julian and welcome to the Mennatides podcast. I am back with part 3 of my hashtag release the Snyder Cut series. I hope you guys have been enjoying listening to me these last couple of weeks for this series. Because I've been having a lot of fun doing it all for you guys. And I'm hoping you'll enjoy this one as well. As well as my two upcoming parts 4 and 5 that I have for next week and the week after to conclude this series. Yeah, but before I get into today's topic. Uh, if you have any questions... you would like for me to answer on the podcast or if you have any suggestions for topics that you'd like for me to talk about on a future podcast do not hesitate at all to present them to me you can tweet me at iamfossitude i have the link to my twitter in the description just tweet me with whatever questions or ideas you have and i promise i will address them all in future podcasts i don't know exactly when i will address them but i will get to them at some point because you know what else am i going to talk about (laughs) Anyway, let's not waste any more time, I've done enough of that already, let's get this shit started. Uh, today's episode of the Minutites Podcast, we are talking about the Academy Award winning film. Yes, it really did win an Academy Award. I am of course talking about Suicide Squad, written and directed by David Ayer. Now, if you thought that critics and audiences hated Batman v Superman, oh man, they really hated this movie. But, in defense of David Ayer, Warner Brothers did put a lot of pressure on him with this one. I mean, for starters, they gave him only six weeks to work on the script. And even the greatest screenplay writers will say that's not enough time to deliver an A-plus story. Additionally, they dicked around with this film a lot throughout production, much like with Batman v Superman, and another film that I will finally talk about in two weeks on this series. What we saw in theaters was very much different from what the original cut of the film was meant to be. You know, if you want to believe any of the tweets and interviews that David Ayer has done since the theatrical release of this film over two years ago. Now, let's start with the cast, because we actually have some pretty big names starring in this movie. We learned early in pre-production process. That the characters we would get to see in the film included Amanda Waller, Deadshot, Enchantress, Captain Boomerang, El Diablo, Slipknot, Katana, Rick Flagg, Harley Quinn, and the Joker. For the part of Rick Flagg, Warner Brothers had initially gotten Tom Hardy to star in the role, but he had to drop out because of scheduling conflicts with him also filming The Revenant at the time. Now, if anyone that's seen The Revenant, you know, Sure we agree he made the better choice for that one. And after Tom Hardy dropped out, Jake Gyllenhaal was offered the part to replace him as Red Flag, but he declined and then Studio was started looking at other actors like Joel Egerton, John Barenthal, who we know would go on to star in Netflix Punisher, and Joel Kinneman, who of course was the man who eventually got the role. Uh, for the very crucial role of Amanda Waller, the woman behind the creation of the team that is the Suicide Squad, the studio was considering actresses Viola Davis, Octavia Spencer, and Oprah Winfrey. And what I'm, what I'm about to say is not at all meant to be disrespectful towards Octavia or towards Oprah. I love Octavia Spencer, I think she's an absolute gem of an actress. And Oprah is... well, she's fucking Oprah. <laughs> but. I personally believe that Viola Davis was simply born to play Amanda Waller. It was absolutely perfect casting and I truly believe that no other actress out there would have done a better job than her in this role. That's just my strong belief about this. Then for the highly anticipated live action big screen debut of Harley Quinn, we would get the absolutely stunning Margot Robbie in the role. At this point in her young Hollywood career. She was perhaps best known for her role in 2013's The Wolf of Wall Street, so there was a lot for her to prove to fans of such a beloved character. She had a lot of expectations to live up to, and I will share my thoughts on her performance a little later. But what was the role everyone was most curious about as regards to who was going to be cast? I am of course talking about the Clown Prince of Crime himself, the Joker. Not after the Academy Award winning performance we experienced with the late Heath Ledger for The Dark Knight. Fans everywhere were quite eager to find out who Warner Brothers would cast as the iconic character. Heath left left some mighty big shoes to fill so the pressure was on. Now one actor that the studio apparently was originally looking for for the role was Ryan Gosling. Yes, Ryan Gosling. Now would he have done well in the role? I'm sure he would have. He's a great actor. He's done a wide variety of films throughout his life and career But now we'll never know how he would have done because of course that part went to another academy award winner jared leto and oh boy did people have some problems with that one and i will talk about that as well and we would also of course get will smith as dead shot um i'm gonna pronounce this this name uh that dude that played killer croc Karen Fukuhara as Katana, Adam Beach as Slipknot, Jay Courtney as Captain Boomerang, Cara Delevingne as Enchantress, and Jay Hernandez as El Diablo, as well as nice cameos from Ezra Miller's The Flash and Ben Affleck's Batman. Now, for some fans, this did appear as if it was uh, Warner Brothers' response to the MCU's surprise hit of 2014, Guardians of the Galaxy, especially after seeing some of the trailers for the film with their inclusion of a lot of music and how colorful they made it look. Well, the truth is, that the development of the F- Suicide Squad film actually goes as far back as 2009. Uh, at least according to my research that I did before this podcast. So, you know, that's just another example of people wrongly assuming that they're just copying the MCU. Uh, another thing the trailers made us, you know, made it look like is that the Joker was going to be the central antagonist of the movie which is something we would soon find out to not be the case at all. Now, as I have said several times in previous podcasts and all over social media, I very much prefer DC Comics more than Marvel Comics, though I do love both. And this is especially true when it comes to their movies. However, with that said, I will happily admit that Suicide Squad, both the theatrical cut and the extended cut Blu-ray with only 15 extra minutes of scenes, is a severely flawed movie however as i said earlier warner brothers dicked around with the film a lot through production and it's widely believed by many that they did so in a direct response to the negative reviews for batman v superman with changes made to the tone of the film and seemingly the entire story itself now i still enjoyed it for what it was because unlike other moviegoers who think a fresh score on rotten tomatoes is the definitive standard of a quality film I ignored the negative critic reviews, I ignored the negative feedback, and I went into the theater with an open mind and I would leave that theater having formed my own opinion on the film because that's how it should be done. I don't let others influence my opinions because I can think for myself. There were several scenes featured in the trailers which were absolutely nowhere to be seen in any version of the film that has been released. Do you remember all those stories and reports about how Jared Leto had filmed enough? Uh, Joker scenes to make a whole separate movie out of them. Yeah. Where the fuck were all those scenes? Again, so much about the tone and the story of the film were changed so much. One change in particular being how the film ended. Uh, and as stated by David Ayer himself in a tweet from March 24th, 2018, and I quote, After Joker dropped Harley Quinn from the hel- helipad, I'm assuming, had and crashed and transfers made a deal with him. He was going to take Harley home and be king of Gotham. Harley stood up to him and refused to betray her new friends. The squad turned on him and he escaped. One fan would respond with, honestly Dave, if you made the movie about Harley going going from being Joker's abused pet to breaking free of him, learning to love her new friends in Suicide Squad, that would have made the movie and her arc way better. With Ayer then simply replying with, that was her arc growth and empowerment. The ending we got was pretty much some happily ever after shit with Harley and Harry Putin. The thing is now, with all those changes, they were completely fucking waste of everyone's time. Because according to the stories that have been coming out in the pre-production phase of Birds of Prey, in the Birds of Prey movie, Harley apparently isn't even with Joker anymore. So why change the original ending for Suicide Squad if there isn't going to be any real follow-up or payoff from that shit? Like, Like, what the fuck is wrong with the studio? like I said in part 2, it's like they're afraid of giving us good movies. (sighs) Now as I mentioned earlier, the trailers made it look like uh, the Joker was going to be the central antagonist or central villain of the movie. However, upon its theatrical release, we would learn that the big baddie that the squad would have to fight at the end turned out to be Enchantress. Why? I wish I knew. But even David Ayer himself has admitted that he made a mistake not making the Joker villain of the film (sighs) so many missed opportunities with this film so many but you know right now i'm going to go ahead and talk about a little bit about the the things i actually did like about suicide squad the first and perhaps most obvious one is margot robbie as harley quinn Uh, of course she looked damn good in the movie i mean and everyone is in agreement about that but i also genuinely enjoyed her performance you know, she did a pretty good job of making me forget that she's actually Australian with her Harley Quinn accent that she used throughout the film. I also, you know, have I also really love how passionate Margot Robbie has become about being Harley Quinn. You know, seeing her in interviews, talking about the role, and seeing her smiling while doing it just makes me love her even more than I already do. And I very much am looking forward to seeing more of her Harley Quinn in the Birds of Prey movie coming out February seventh, twenty twenty. I also really enjoyed Will Smith as Deadshot. You know, I didn't think I would, but I did. I mean, he's he's a good actor, you know, but he's been in quite of a rut with his films in recent years. So I was pleasantly surprised that I enjoyed his performance here, especially his interactions with Ben Affleck's Batman. And speaking of Batman, I know I was not the only person watching this in the theaters who had a big mm, geek out, nerd out moment, whatever you want to call it, when the Batmobile chased down Joker's. I mean, I first saw the clip during Conan O'Brien's special Comic-Con episodes where he interviewed the entire cast of the film. When I saw the Batmobile turn that corner behind Joker's car, yeah, I got chills. Now I'm going to talk about Jared Leto's Joker, because this is one of aspect of the movie that really got people divided. There were those who liked his performance, there were those who hated it. I've met more people who hated it. Now a lot of that hate, in my opinion, comes from the high standards set by Heath Ledger, because of his damn near perfect performance as the Joker in *The Dark Knight*. It's going to be difficult for any actor to live up to fans' expectations for the character. But then again, a lot of people thought Ledger couldn't live up to the standard set by Jack Nicholson back in 1989, so who knows? One of the things that fans really hated about Jared Leto's Joker is his look. You know, mean. They hated the tattoos, thinking that they looked stupid and added nothing to his character. You know, his little gangster Julia with all the gold chains and rings and and all that stuff, and the voice that he used was also an issue for some people because, you know, for some, they thought he was trying to duplicate the voice of Heath-, Heath Ledger, trying too hard to sound like him. And then his there's his laugh. <laughs> Yeah, that took some getting used to, to say the least. By now, you're probably wanting to know if I liked Jared Leto's performance as a Joker, right? You know, all three of you out there listening to this. I'll start by by saying that I'm a big fan of Jared Leto, both as an actor and as a musician with his band 30 Seconds to Mars. Uh, I've liked a lot of the movies that he's done. I liked him in Fight Club. I enjoyed him in Requiem for a Dream. Uh, I enjoyed him in American Psycho. I enjoyed him in Girl Interrupted and his Oscar winning performance in Dallas Buyers Club. Now, having said that, what did I think of Jared Jared Leto as the Joker? Well, ignoring the tattoos that I will agree weren't really necessary, I honestly didn't mind his performance. To me, he's a talented enough actor that if we had gotten to see more of his performance, I think it could have been truly great. But unfortunately, we may never know because w b for whatever stupid reason they decided to cut out what felt like seventy five percent of the scenes he filmed. Ah uh, I sure would have would love to have been a fly on the wall of whatever board meeting they had where these kinds of stupid fucking decisions were made. and uh, I also really liked Carla delvin's uh, performance as a chantress. I don't know why I liked it so much, but I did hmm. Maybe it's because I kind of had a crush on her since I first saw her in the movie Paper Towns. But who the fuck knows. Anyway, moving on, let's talk about the music. Now this is one of the aspects, probably the biggest aspect of the film, that created a lot of the comparisons to Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's one that I can definitely understand and somewhat agree with. Now because the Guardians films really do rely heavily on the songs played throughout the stories because they help and setting the tone of what the film is about. and Suicide Squad tried the same approach, and while it might not have felt quite as natural as it did for the Guardians films, I feel it still worked very well here. And the choices of some of the songs played, I especially enjoyed because a lot of it was classic rock and blues from the 60s and 70s and 80s. That's the kind of music I listened to when I was growing up, still living in New York City. Now we had ACTC, Rolling Stones, Queen, The Animals, Black Sabbath, Rick James, Credence, Clearwater Revival. I also also enjoyed some of the newer music featured in the film and its soundtrack, such as the song you guys heard at the start of this podcast, Heathens by 21 Pilots. I also liked the cover of Bohemian Rhapsody done by Panic at the Disco. Obviously nothing can beat the original version by Queen, but I think they did a pretty good job with that. And the score for the film was pretty good as well didn't really feature a lot of standout pieces like the scores from Man of Steel and Batman v Superman did, but it was still a good score. It was composed by Stephen Price who won an academy award for composing the score for Gravity. If you haven't listened to the score, or if you don't remember what it sounds like, I'll provide a link to, the, to a YouTube playlist featuring the full score in the description for you all to listen to. As I said, the, f- the film had so much potential to be something truly great. It could have been a lot of fun. I hate using that word when, when describing comic book movies but it's true, it could have been a lot of fun. You know if Warner Brothers had just given David Ayer a little more time to work on the script, fix what needed fixing and just let him direct the movie that he wanted to direct, I sincerely believe that Suicide Squad could have been one of the best comic book movies ever made. I really do believe that. Uh, I mean I'll still watch it, mainly the extended cut blu-ray that I own because I love DC Comics with great passion doesn't mean I'm blind to the film's flaws Uh, I guess in the end hopefully they'll leave Beards of Prey alone hopefully now, even with the film's many flaws, and again, there were many of them I can still enjoy watching it for what it was Uh, like, a lot of people don't like Batman Forever and Batman and Robin But I can still sit down and enjoy them, because, again, I love DC Comics with great passion and most of the time I find myself enjoying their movies more than a lot of the Marvel movies. Even some of the worst DC Comics movies I find myself liking more than some of the better Marvel Comics films. Like I can sit down and watch Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, I can still have a good time watching them more than I would for, say, X-Men Apocalypse or... Yeah, I'll go with X-Men Apocalypse. Now, well, both films have have their flaws, you know, meaning Batman Forever and Batman and Raman, a lot of flaws, but I can still enjoy them for what they are. As I've said in previous podcasts, movies are works of art and art is subjective. Just because I might like it doesn't mean you have to like it, and just because I might not like it doesn't mean that you have to not like it as well. Now, it's okay to not like these movies, just don't make others feel like shit for liking them yeah, and trust me I get a lot of shit from people when they find out that I like DC comics more than Marvel comics well, mainly because they're thinking I'm meaning only the movies because a lot of them don't actually read the comics they only know the movies and if you tell them like oh these are from actual comic books they're probably like ah oh, well I don't want to read that I just want to watch the movie Well, you know, there's a lot that happens in the comics that don't happen in the movies, so you're missing out on quite a lot. Yeah, Suicide Squad was very flawed. I still enjoy it for what it was. I mean, the action scenes were pretty good. Visual effects were better than the other DCEU film that I'll be talking about in two weeks. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I understand, yeah. Like I said, there was a lot of flaws, a lot of reasons to not like this movie, but some of the complaints were a little ridiculous like like I mean, one of the biggest things that gets me is when people complain about when comic book fans like myself complain about comic accuracy with these characters you know we, we I heard it a lot when they revealed the cast for the DC Universe show Titans where Starfire was played by a you know this African-American actress that I can't remember what her name is. That a lot of people complain because you know starfire is supposed to be orange this chick is not orange yeah stupid i know yeah, and also with the recent ca- net casting announcements of uh jernay Smalley, bell as black canary people complaining because black canary is supposed to be pale white with blonde hair even though there is a you know a, pers- a person of color version of black canary and, you know, apparently people forget that these, these little inventions called wearing a wig and coloring your hair. Uh, you don't have to be a natural blonde to pull it off. Uh, and Shailene Woodley colored her hair red for the deleted scenes of Amazing Spider Man 2 that she shot as Mary Jane Watson, which we'll probably never get to see. But yeah, you know, just because she's not what you envisioned as the character doesn't mean that, that, that they're wrong. Again, comic accuracy, while well, it's nice to have it. It should not be such a big priority because comic accuracy does not always translate well onto live-action screen. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. You know, sometimes it's okay to change it up a little bit. I mean, cuz think about it. I know a lot of people especially complain like with with Hugh Jackman's Wolverine that he didn't wear the costume like in the comics. But just seriously, think about it. How well would it have looked if Hugh Jackman actually wore the yellow spandex costume in a live-action version of the, mo- of the X-Men movies. Just picture it. It looks stupid. It looks great in the comics, it looks great in the cartoons, but in a live-action version, it just would not work. Now, I'm not saying that the leather outfits that they wore in several of the X-Men movies were better. I'm just saying, sometimes begging for a comic accurate appearance is not always the best thing. Although it did work out for Deadpool. Uh, for me, what it comes down to is like what I said in my Man of Steel podcast. You know, just try to go into these movies with an open mind and try not to set your expectations too high because when you set them too high you, then you, you're just gonna be disappointed even if it's a good movie. So, like, when if they ever do get to do Suicide Squad 2 Uh, or whatever future DCEU films that feature Jared Leto's Joker and Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn and Will Smith's Deadshot and everybody else Don't go into it with expectations of it to be like the Godfather or whatever because it's never gonna be like that You know, it's never gonna be what you want it to be in your head and sometimes that's a good thing because you want it to surpass your expectations and be better but when the the movie in your head is not the movie that you get on the screen uh, as as Bill Maher said it on his show a few months back how dare you make the movie you wanted to make and not the movie I wanted you to make again, just try to watch these movies with an open mind and form your own opinion what good, what good opinion a mo- someone else has about a movie might not be the same opinion you'll have like, say, I've met a lot of people who Put the Fast and Furious movies on such a high pedestal, and I—the ones that I've watched, because I still haven't seen the seventh and eighth films in the series—I just don't get the hype over those movies. I don't. They're not bad movies. I just don't get why people are so obsessed with them. But then again, people would feel the same way about me when it comes to DC comics and Marvel comics movies. You know, they don't understand why I'm so obsessed with them. Ah, so. I don't know, maybe just ignore what I'm saying right now because I'm just talking out of my ass <laughs> <sighs> but my point is think for yourself keep an open mind and if you still hate the movie that's fine at least you went into it open mind open heart at least try to enjoy it try to find parts of it that you actually like don't just nitpick at everything to the point where you, there's no possible way you can enjoy a movie even if it is a great movie Like, as Paul Heyman said in the Rise and Fall of ECW documentary, accentuate the positives, hide the negatives. I'm sure that's easier said than done, but it's not quite as hard. And that, my friends, concludes part 3 of my Release the Snyder Cut series. I hope it wasn't too warm for any of you. I mean there honestly really wasn't that much for me to say about this movie. Uh, I mean if it was too boring for you I'm sorry uh, but oh well you already listened to to it can't get the time back too late sorry <laughs> and uh, I hope you'll join me again next week for part four and again if any of you out there listening have any ideas for topics you want me to talk about or questions you want me to answer Tweet me, and I promise that I will address them all in future podcasts. Until then, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next time.